Well, let's pray. Let's ask God to meet us uh, in his word this morning. Again, Lord, we thank you for the light, power. Thank you, Lord, for the, the love that you've birthed in our hearts here for each other. We acknowledge you've done that through Jesus. Jesus, through your death on the cross, you have changed our hearts. Forgiven us for our sins. Fill us with your love so we can love each other. Thank you, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you'd bring your power upon us now as we open up your word. I want to thank you for what you've been doing in our prayer lives through these different psalms we've been studying. And I pray that you'd meet us now again this morning. I need your help, Lord, to be in accord with your word and to just say the right things. I don't want to mislead in any way. Give me the the wisdom I need and the heart that, that you want me to have. And do your work in our hearts through your word now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. To put, um, to put this morning's topic kind of in a broader context, I want you to think about the fact that um, you can't really see it from looking around you, but we're living in a battle zone. Okay? In planet Earth... Here in this room right now, city of San Jose, is a, a battlefield, uh, a place of war. There's a war being waged here. And it's between Jesus' kingdom and the kingdom of darkness. And what's at stake in this war couldn't be more significant. What's at stake is whether men and women come to trust Jesus, trust God in the person of Jesus and have their sins forgiven and enter into the joy of knowing him now and forever or whether they will stay enslaved in their sins under the guilt and power of sin, under, under God's curse for their sin and, and face an eternity under the wrath of God. So the stakes couldn't be higher. What's happening in planet Earth couldn't be more important. And your life, and every human life, couldn't be more significant. It's just huge if you stop and think about it. And Jesus has called those he saved, his church, his people, to advance his purposes, his war. It's not, we don't use force, we don't use physical weapons, we use love and and, and prayer. And that's, I want to focus on prayer because one of the most important weapons, if you want to call it that, that he's given to us to advance his cause is prayer. When you cry out to God in the name of Jesus, creator God, loving God, hears. And he answers. And under the, the, the mystery of God's sovereignty and his mercy to us in Jesus... This is amazing, but when you pray, he works. When you cry out to God, strengthen me, he will strengthen you. When you cry out to God, um, encourage my brother, encourage uh, or comfort this sister in my home group, God hears and he will encourage and he will comfort, he will work. And when you pray for God's power, saving power to be brought upon your family or upon your uh, neighbor's, 
or to be poured out upon your workplace or city or the unreached people groups. God hears and he pours out his saving power upon your family and upon your neighbors and upon your workplace and upon your city and upon unreached people groups. So do, do you, can you just feel a little bit about the amazing, I mean, the, the startling importance of prayer? The war is that significant. Eternity is at stake. And your prayer can make the difference in your eternity, your brothers and sisters' eternity, and the city's and nation's eternity. Your prayer can make that kind of difference. If, as Jesus said, it's heartfelt and fervent. If our prayers aren't heartfelt and fervent, Jesus said they're vain. Remember Matthew 15? He's critiquing the Pharisees and he says, um, in vain you're worshiping, you're praying because your heart is far from God. And so for prayer to be not vain, for prayer to be effective, for prayer to bring God's power, to accomplish God's work, it needs, your heart needs to be near to God, which means you're feeling the things that you're praying about, Godward feelings in prayer, fervency, earnestness, not lackadaisical or bored or complacent. So the war is of infinite significance and prayer is of massive importance and our prayers need to be from the heart. But now do you feel the problem that that presents us with? There's lots of times when I'm just not feeling it when I'm trying to pray. And I'm sure that's probably true for you too. I mean, I had, I had a, at least one day this last week where I was just kind of stunned at how uh, dead my heart felt spiritually. It's very little, gee, very little interest in the word, in prayer, little love for you, okay? Little compassion for the lost, okay? What do you do at those times? Prayer's vital, but it's got to be from the heart. You can't just turn that on and off. So what do we do to stir up our hearts so that we're Godward in our affections and in our feelings and there's God-centered fervency in us? What do we do? The answer to that's found in Psalm 119. Let's, let's turn there. Psalm 119. Love the psalm. If you need a Bible, we'd like you to be able to look on with us. So go ahead and raise your hand and we'll bring you one. Psalm 119 is on page uh, 512 in these Bibles that we're passing out. A little bit of background about Psalm 119. It's the longest psalm. In fact, I think it's the longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses. And it's written as a tightly structured poem. It's called an acrostic, I think, right? Where the first eight verses, every line starts with the Hebrew letter A, okay, Aleph. And then the second eight verses all start with the Hebrew letter Beth, and then it just goes on down through the alphabet. So it's a, it's a very tightly structured. You can't see that in the English, but that you can see that in the Greek, in the Greek language. And uh, Psalm 119, kind of, a lot of people start off in first verse, and the first verse is so discouraging to them that they give up on the rest of the psalm because we misunderstand the first verse, which says, "Blessed are those whose way is blameless." The word "blessed" there means happy, and so happy are all those whose way is blameless. Well. Okay, that X's me out right there, right? Because we tend to think, well, this is talking about sinless perfection. Isn't that what you tend to think when you hear the word blameless? The Hebrew word for blameless here does not mean sinless perfection or nobody would be happy, okay? Um, the, sinless, the, the Hebrew word for blameless here 
is the same word used to describe Noah as blameless back in Genesis chapter 6. And if you've read Noah's life, you know that Noah was not sinlessly perfect. For example, there was a time when he got drunk, so much so that he was seduced by his two daughters. Kind of a sordid tale. But here's this man who had that instance in his life, and he's called blameless. And what that means is not sinless perfection, but a heart that's towards God. I trust you, God. I seek you, God. I want to obey you, God. And when I stumble, I'm going to come and repent before you, God. That's blameless. A heart that's for God. Okay? Keep reading in the first verse of Psalm 1. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Now, you can misunderstand that, too. Does that mean, like, the psalmist is one of these guys who's really careful about tithing mint and dill and cumin or not only walking so far on the Sabbath. No, see, the, the law of the Lord, what's the, what's the first and greatest commandment? In the law, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God's law calls us to cling to God, to trust God, to obey God. Com- other commands are important, but they flow from a heart that's for God. It's a heart that's seeking God. That's how it's stated in the second verse. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. That's blamelessness. That's what the law of the Lord calls us to. That's what his testimonies encourage us to, to seek him with all their hearts. Psalm 119 is the prayer of a man who is intent on seeking God with all his hearts. It's interesting. The most common words in Psalm 119, you might think it's law, statutes, rules, precepts, and ordinances. Those are not the most common words in Psalm 119. The most common words are, I, me, speaking of the psalmist himself, and you, God. It's all, except for these first two verses, talking to God, seeking God, pouring his heart out before God, asking God, being before God. So Psalm 119 is a prayer, a long prayer, of a man who's seeking God with his whole heart. And when you read through this prayer, it's like, okay, we want to learn about prayer. How do I pray? And you read through Psalm 119, there's something that just jumps out at you as unusual. When I first became a follower of Christ, it was his senior year of high school, I was taught, it was really helpful, that there's four parts of prayer. There's worship, There's confession, there's thanksgiving, and there's asking. That's been a really helpful uh, tool. The order is not important, but those are just four different parts of prayer. But when you read Psalm 119, you'll find there's dozens of places where the psalmist prays something that doesn't come under any of those categories. It's not worship, it's not confessing sin, it's not thanking, and it's not asking. What is it? And I've tried to think of a, of a word to describe it. And the best one that I've been able to come up with, maybe you can come up with a better one, is declaring. It's where the psalmist declares to God truth about God and truth about himself. He's declaring to God who God is. God, you're this. And he's declaring to God what's in his heart, who he is, what's true about him. And as I've looked at the dozens of places in Psalm 119 where he does that, and I've tried to think, what's the point? Why is he declaring these truths to God? What has struck me is every time he does that, the the point of it, the function of it, is to stir up the passion of his heart in prayer. It's to enable him to feel more deeply the things that he's praying. 
Let me illustrate it like this. When I was in high school, I had a Volkswagen Bug. Okay, uh, you know, four-cylinder, air-cooled Volkswagen Bug. Not, not like they make them now. And uh, not a muscle car. All right, no question about it. Zero to 60 in about 3.4 hours, it felt like. All right. And uh, I was happy for the Bug, but I wasn't very happy for the speed. So I remember seeing a Hot VW's magazine at the grocery store. And, and I, I picked up one of those Hot VW's. What? So, and I learned in this magazine that you could buy a turbocharger for a... Uh, a Volkswagen Bug, and the turbocharger would increase the torque and the acceleration and the top speed, and I was all excited until I realized it was way over my head mechanically and I couldn't afford it anyway, but, but the point of the illustration is that there was a way to turbocharge a Volkswagen Bug. You didn't need to settle for 3.4 or 0 to 60 3.4 hours. Now, Psalm 119 gives us a way to, in a sense, turbocharge our prayers so that when you're finding that you're praying in a lackluster, apathetic, lackadaisical way, if you will do what the psalmist did and sprinkle your prayers with declarations to God about the truth of God and about the truth of yourself, meaningfully, it's not a formula, but very often God in his grace will bring the Holy Spirit upon you and you will find your heart is stirred in what you're praying. So I, I want to present this to you and show you in Psalm 119 how this works and even see if we can experience this a little bit. So I'll give you a couple examples. First example is in verse 73. Go ahead and, and turn there. Psalm 119, verse 73. 176 verses in the psalm. Verse 73 says this. Your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Okay, focus on the second half first. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. So here the psalmist is asking God, give me understanding, I want to learn what you've commanded in your word. Now, you may wonder, can't you just read the commandments to understand them? Why do you have to ask God to give you understanding? And it is true that we need to, we must read God's word, study, ponder, meditate on the scriptures. That's vital for us to do. But... Because of the sinfulness of our hearts, because of my pride, I, we all have a tendency to twist the scriptures to our own liking, to not own up to the depth, the glory, the majesty of God. We can read verses and just say, oh, what's on TV, right? And so God, because of Jesus' death on the cross, he will bring his power upon us and subdue the pride and the the sin, so that we can see and whoa and yes and feel it and respond to it, be submissive to it, understand it. So that's what the psalmist is praying for. That's the kind of understanding that as he opens up the scriptures and studies and prays and ponders, the Holy Spirit will come and his sin will be subdued and he will see the scriptures in their full glory. That's the second half. Okay, now what's this first half? Your hands have made me and fashioned me. Now what is that? He's praying. He's saying, God, you've made me. You've fashioned me. This is a glorious truth for us to learn. I mean, this is one of the most important truths for you to to get in your heart and mind and to feel and to think about. You are not uh, a random mutation or a, 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 a chance cosmic accident You, this is just powerful, you were created by the living God. The God of the universe said, I'm going to make a Jolie. 
I'm going to make a Sean. God chose to make you. This is huge. Okay, but, but why, why tell I me? Mean, God knows that, right? Why say, your hands made and fashioned me? Why declare to God that, that truth, that, that God is the one who's made me? Well, to try to figure that out, I just did a little experiment. And I, I, I prayed two prayers. I hope this doesn't sound too artificial or mechanical, because it was very powerful when I did it. Uh, first, I just prayed the second half. Give me understanding so that I may learn your commandments. I didn't talk about the first half, but your hands made me. I just prayed the, the second half. God, give me understanding. Subdue the power of sin in me. I want to see your word more deeply and, and submit to your word more freely. Give me understanding. So I, I prayed that earnestly, and it was good. Okay, That was part one of the experiment. Second part of the experiment, I prayed both halves together. I just said, okay, let's just see what, what happens. And so I prayed, God, your hands made me and fashioned me. I'm here because of your will. I'm not an accident. You chose to create Steve Fuller. I'm personal creation of the living God. Give me understanding so that I can learn your commands. Subdue my sin so that I can see who you are more clearly in your word. Open my eyes to understand the depth of your glory in the scriptures. Okay, now. And then I said, now what was happening in my heart differently with the second prayer than with the first? And it was different. Three things I noticed. First, I I felt more faith in asking the second time. Because it struck me, if God's gone through all the trouble of creating me, then surely when I, when I, his creation, say, Creator, would you give me something I need to bring you glory? Surely he's going to do it. Do you feel that? So getting in touch with the fact that I am created by you, God, give me understanding, gave me more faith to pray that. So I felt more faith when I added the first part in. And then secondly, I, I felt humility because it just struck me, God's created me, and yet in my sinfulness, I've screwed everything up and I've dulled my heart and blinded my eyes so that I, I can hardly see what he's saying to me because of the sinfulness in my heart unless he gives me understanding. So it, it, it injected a note of humility in my prayer. Oh, I'm sorry. You've created me. I've rebelled against you. Forgive me. So humility. There's faith. There's humility. And then the third thing I felt as I added the, the first part in was longing. Longing for God to do this. It's like, If I'm a creation of God, if he's created me, if there's a creator who's the reason I'm alive, my life is totally because of his creating work, it's really important that I know his will. Right? If God's created you, it would be helpful to find out what's God saying? Why are you here? What are you for? And so there is this longing, oh, I want to know more of who you are, what your will is for me. So faith and humility and longing were stirred in my heart as a result of declaring to God truth about God that he's made me and fashioned me. Does that make sense? Turbocharger on the prayer. Okay, let's go to a second example. This time I'm going to have you do the praying, and you're going to tell me what you experience in your heart. Verse 156, another example. Psalm 119, verse 156. Psalmist says, Great is your mercy, O Lord, give me life according to your rules. It means according to your promises, what you've promised to do. 
Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Okay, what does he mean when he says give me life? I I love this prayer here. I love that the Bible is honest about people's true spiritual condition. The authors of the Bible were not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. They were not always spiritually alive, and the psalmist here is not feeling spiritually alive, so he has to pray, give me spiritual life. And that's just the reality of life following Jesus, is there will be times when we feel great spiritual life. We're sensing God's love being poured into our hearts. We're beholding his glory in the word. We're feeling bold and empowered. We love our brothers and sisters. We've got compassion for the lost. And there'll be other times when you wake up and it's just like, oh my gosh, what happened? You know, I'm like empty, I'm drained. There's little interest in the word, little love for God's glory, little love for other people or compassion. And when that happens, you want to pray this prayer. Give me life according to your rules, according to your word, as you've promised in your word. So that's the prayer. Give me life. But now why start off saying, great is your mercy, O Lord? Why declare to God something that God already knows? God knows his mercy is great. I think the reason why is because when you declare to God that his mercy is great, your heart will be stirred. You will feel more prayer than had you just made the request. Okay, let's try this out as an experiment. Are you ready? Okay, now we're not putting anybody in the spot. Okay, I know this might feel a little bit artificial because you're like in church and people are sitting right around you. But if, if you could just put other people aside, just where you are, in the silence of your heart, first, we'll do two, we'll, we're going to pray two prayers. First, just pray the second half. Ask God to give you life, and mean it. Say, give me life. Make my heart alive. Pour out your spirit upon me. Just pray that right now, just in the quietness of your heart. Come in the name of Jesus, and ask God to do that. Okay, don't be distracted by people around you. Just in the quietness of your heart, ask God, give me life. Give me life. He loves that prayer. Okay. I mean, we could have prayed that longer. But now I'd like you to pray both parts. Take some time and just tell the Lord how great his mercy is. Linger on that. And then ask him to give you life. And linger on that. And maybe... Maybe read the verse again slowly, meaningful to the Lord, God, or not just saying words in your mind, but talking to the Lord about this. So, so put both halves together and then watch. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will come and do something right now in us. Watch what he does in your heart. Watch the difference. So go ahead and, and pray both halves right now. Both halves. Great is your mercy. Give me life. Okay, we could have kept doing that, I know, for a long time. But... How many of you felt something different in your heart, uh, the second prayer, than, than the first? Just Okay, I'd like to hear what, what some of those were. There's no, no one right answer here, because again, this is the way the Holy Spirit works. It can be different depending on where you are. But what are some of the, just like in a couple, couple words, what, what was the difference? Okay, so this worshipfulness came over you, and, and the song, Great is Your Faithfulness. I can tell you were touched, weren't you? Amen. Okay. I mean, there's all kinds of things we could say about that. It's awesome. But so he gave you life with the first part of the verse, right? See, that's, that's giving life. So even before you had a chance to ask him to give you life, or maybe he was answering the first part of the, when you prayed it the first time. But so here you're declaring to God truth about God and the Holy Spirit gives you life. Oh, don't you love that? 
Ah, when is the last time that you've experienced something like that in your prayer? Honestly. See, this is the power of this. Okay, so more faith was given. That's what I experienced too yesterday when I just did this at my home is just a strong sense that he's going to give me life because I've seen his past mercies. He's going he's, he's to do this for me. And so more faith the second time. There's probably a lot of different answers. So don't, don't hear this as some kind of a formula. We can't ever put God in a box, but he's given us means of grace by which he will work in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And one of them is declaring to God the truth of who God is and the truth of who you are. He will work in your heart when you do that. And give feeling and experience and passion and earnestness and joy and faith and worship to your prayer. Do you see that? Oh, Lord, thank you. You're, you're touching us this morning. This is good. I was really praying hard that, that he would come. I know it's, it's a little weird doing this, but thanks for bearing with me. I want to do it at least one more time. Okay. Uh, look at verse 93. I'll just briefly summarize this one, and then, and then I want to have you experience one more. Psalm 93 says, I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. Can I notice the psalm is asking God to save him? I'm sorry, 94? It's verse 94. All right. The psalmist is asking God to save him. And all of us, every single one of us in this room right now, you've got something that you need God to save you from. Truth be known. Okay, let's just throw out. What are some of the things we need God to save us from right now? Pardon? Ourselves. Ourselves. What else? Pride. Pride, selfishness. Okay, dullness, lust, greed, bitterness towards someone, hopelessness about work, uh, confusion about a decision I have to make, uh, guilt, uh, not thinking God's importance. Okay, the list just goes on and on and on and on and on. God loves to save us. God is the Savior. He will save you. So that's what's being prayed for here. Isn't that good news? You will never have a situation in which you need to be saved, and God won't save you if you ask him in Jesus. He will always save you. So that's what he's asking for. Now, in addition to asking God to save him, he makes a statement before that and after that. He says, I am yours, which means I'm trusting you And therefore, through the blood of the covenant, I belong to you. And I have you as forgiveness. I have you as righteousness. I have you keeping me persevering in the faith all the way to the end. I have you, my resurrection and my life. I have you for eternity. My salvation is secure. My future is secure. I'm yours. Okay? That's a sweet thing to tell God. And then he says, I've sought your precepts which isn't a claim to perfection. It's just simply a statement, you've saved me, so my heart is towards your precepts. I've sought your precepts. When I've, when I've sought them, I've sought to obey you, and when I've sinned, I've, I've sought to repent because that's what your precepts tell me to do. So I've, I've lived a life of seeking your precepts. So again, see the two parts? The request, save me, and then the two statements, I'm yours, for I've sought your precepts. Now, as, as I did the same experiment with that example. Here's what I experienced. With, when I added in the truth, God, I'm yours. I belong to you. You've bought me through the blood of Christ. I'm saved, forgiven, secured for my eternity. 
When I, when I prayed that and then prayed, save me. I mean, it's a number of things we've already mentioned. My confidence and faith that God would save me rose. It just rose. Faith was given. And also, the sense that because I belong to him, he can save me in any way he chooses to save me. It may not be the exact way that I want to be saved in this. He knows better than I do. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. So my faith rose, and I was humble thinking, you will save me, and I'll bless whatever way you choose to save me in this. So faith was given. Humility was imparted. That's what happened to me. So when I added in, I'm yours, save me, for I've sought your precepts, faith was imparted, and humility was given. And again, not that that's exactly what you'll experience because the Holy Spirit will move in very diverse ways depending on what you need. But he will do something. Your heart will be stirred. Okay, one more example. This is a little different than the other three we've looked at. This is verse 114. Turn there. You are my hiding place and shield. I hope in your word. Can I notice here, the psalmist isn't asking God to do anything. Okay, no, no request here. This is just declaring. He's declaring to God, you are my hiding place and shield. I hope in your word. Okay, let's just dig a little deeper into what those mean. Then we'll think through why, why he's doing this. Why do we need a hiding place and a shield? Why? Okay, well, imagine that you're a soldier in battle which you are, all right, spiritual battle, you're a soldier, and imagine a horde of enemy troops running against you, and then imagine a castle behind you, okay, hiding place. That'd be good news to turn and say, hiding place. You'd run into the castle, shunk, ah, right? That's why a hiding place, that's what the word means here, a hiding place, refuge, it's like a castle, they didn't have castles back in Hebrew times, but that's what it's referring to. And then God's a shield, Okay, imagine that you're, like in the movie, is it 300, one of those movies where all those arrows are flying towards you? Okay, this cloud of arrows. Imagine how amazing it would be if, if over here there's this big old shield that you just kind of go, whoosh, bing, 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 but none touching you, okay? Spiritually, that's what we need. There's a horde running at you of remaining sin in your own heart and demonic powers, and Satan has flaming darts he's firing against you, so it's really good to know that God can be my hiding place and my shield. And the way I go into that hiding place and get behind that shield is by hoping in his word, looking to his word and trusting his promises as revealed in Christ and explained in the scriptures. So when I hope in God's word, I'm in the hiding place. I'm behind the shields. Okay, that's, that's what's going on here. But now, why pray this? God already knows he's your hiding place and your shield. He knows that. He knows that you're hoping in his word. So why, why spend time declaring this to God? This isn't worship. This isn't asking. This isn't confessing. This isn't thanksgiving. It's declaring. But why do it? Let's find out. Okay, take some time right now. Just quiet you yourself with the Lord and, and tell him that he's your hiding place and shield, and that your hope is in his word. 
So go ahead and just pray that right now, meaningfully, slowly, thoughtfully, in Jesus' name, and then let's see what he does in our hearts as we pray that for a while. Go ahead. What happened? What, what happened in your heart as you declared to God truth about God, truth about you? He's your hiding place and shield, and you're hoping in his word. What happened? Okay, so you went from feeling weak, is that what you said? Yeah. To, there's, I, I, hear, I hear, heard strength, security, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Is that what you're saying? Okay, so something happened. Okay, reminded her of other things she was putting her hope in. Okay, so she was able to renounce those things and reestablish him as her hope. Okay, that's awesome. See, declaring. You're declaring to God the truth of who he is, and then he goes to work and starts to do things in your heart. In Jesus, you have that hiding place. Okay, so this whole train of thought, John 1, the word, my hope is in Jesus, he's my hiding place. So things are happening as you're declaring to God the truth of that verse. Okay, there was somebody else over here. So it became visible in your heart. A sense of security was given to you. All right, excellent. Don. An overwhelming feeling of not being alone. So, are you getting a sense of this? Now see, dozens of times in Psalm 119, you'll see the psalmist praying that that way. Declaring to God truth about God, truth about himself. It's not worship so much, it's not confession, thanksgiving, or asking. It's declaring to God truth about God. And, And as I've looked at these places and prayed them, I think what's going on is that these are ways that the Holy Spirit will stir our hearts. I mean, just as we've shared here, just giving it a few minutes here, we've experienced different ways that the Holy Spirit has touched our hearts through these truths. So this is what I want to encourage us to do. This is declaring, okay? It's it's an aspect of prayer that's clearly illustrated in Psalm 119. And it's not just in Psalm 119. We've already seen it in a number of the Psalms we've been studying. I've just kind of alluded to it. We haven't focused on it so much. But it's declaring to God the truth of who he is, declaring to God the truth of, of who I am in him, what my circumstances, what my situation is. It's also in, um, it's the way Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, which is a whole, one whole chapter of his prayer. You can go through and see places where he declares to the Father truths about the Father, truths about him. You can see this is how the early church prays in Acts chapter 4, when they've just heard word that the scribes and Pharisees are, are wanting to shut down the witness. And they start off with this whole thing, you are God in the heavens and the earth, you've created everything, you've got authority over everyone. And they start with this whole declaration to God about the truth of who God is, because then when they get to the request, it's like, Yes! Instead of just, help us, there's this declaration. So all through the prayers in the scripture, there's declaring to God the truth of who God is. Okay, let me give you two specific suggestions and then close this up. I would encourage you to pray Psalm 119 and other psalms in order to learn about this. Because I would guess most of us are not particularly strong in this aspect 
of prayer, where you're declaring to God the truth of who he is and the truth of who you are. And don't do this in some kind of a rote way or superstitious way. Do it meaningful. Make it prayer. Make it meant. Make it your own. But as you do this, you'll see examples of declaring and you'll grow in that. And the second suggestion is give time and thought to how you pray. Now, there's, there's two extremes that people can go into here. We know that you could give way an inordinate amount of time and thought to how you pray with the whole goal of having it sound flowery and having it sound really, really spiritual because this, this one's going to sound good, you know. God's really going to like this one. He just like goes, oh, forget it. Why do you start praying that way? Okay, so there's a really weird kind of a religious way that you could spend, you know, for wrong reasons, try to craft this prayer. I'm not talking about that. But there's kind of the other extreme where we, we overreact and say, this is all, it's always got to be spontaneous. So just like whatever, I just do like just whatever. And that it'd be wrong ever to give some thought to it ahead of time. I think there's a happy medium here. Spontaneity, yes. Thought and care, yes. Yes, both. And so take some time this week when you have something that's a burden and think about how you want to present it before the Lord. I was reading the Spurgeon sermon on prayer this last week where he, he says that we should be like a lawyer before the judge arguing your case, giving God reasons, declaring to God truth. That's what the psalmist does here. Not because God needs to be persuaded, but because it'll stir us, it'll give us fervency, it'll enable us to persevere in prayer. That's exactly what we're talking about here. So here's, here's my appeal. Mercy Hill Church. Don't be lifeless in your prayer. Don't settle for perfunctory or boring or passionless prayers. Don't settle for it. God has given us a means of grace to stir our hearts so that prayer becomes more meaningful. And that that means of grace is his word, the truth of his word, as we declare it to him, truth about him, truth about ourselves. So declare to God the truth of he is. Don't settle for lukewarm, complacent, apathetic prayer. Ask God to stir your heart as you pray. Declare to God the truth of who he is and who you are and watch what he does, just like we've seen happen here. Okay? Let's pray. Let's ask God to do that in us. And this week in our home groups, let's talk about how that's going and wrestle with this some more. But Lord, I I just want to pray right now. This week, would you work in our prayer so that our prayer is more earnest and heartfelt and passionate than this past week because we've given time to declaring to you the truth of who you are, the truth of who we are, and we've experienced your heart changing, passion-giving work in that. Lord, don't let us settle for lifeless, mouthed, perfunctory, boring prayers. Oh, Lord, free us from that. Set our hearts on fire as we give ourselves to declaring the truth of who you are. And then, Lord, we will see your work in our own hearts, in our brothers and sisters, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our city, with the unreached people groups of the world. Thank you for the call to prayer. Thank you for 
how you help us with prayer. So stir this in us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.